live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics with occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Michael Bauer, Stephanie Hitt, Charles Lipson, and Chris Veronis. Our program tonight coming to you from our base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. Happy Easter, happy Passover to everyone. And if you'd like to give us a call, it is 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you, 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's at Dumont. Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. And if you'd like to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. And, of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web at our website, beyondthebeltway.com. That is the audio and video portion of the program every week. And if you miss it on Sunday night, you can really watch it anytime. It's there 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And, again, welcome. Nice to have you with us. We hope you've had a very pleasant Easter or Passover uh, dinner or Seder for the, those of the Jewish faith. And uh, tonight we've got lots to talk about, as we generally do. Uh, Stephanie Hitt, I want to spark with you. You're our, one of our card-carrying Republicans. Yeah, actually, our only card-carrying Republican, Ooh, I believe, yeah. tonight. My <laughs> question to you is the president this afternoon said that the, the Senate maybe should go to the nuclear option, which would reduce the number of votes needed to pass DACA. He doesn't think the Democrats are going to do it, and basically that's, that's, uh, that's a drawing a red line in the sand, which usually means right. a reaction from the Democrats. But should the Republicans consider that? Is DACA that yes. big a deal? I would to say I would say no. I'd say you know if it was that big a deal, we'd still be talking about it a lot. It's been really quiet, and um, I do know that the whole reason he wants to do this is he wants to force the issue really on board, building the border wall. That's really what he's trying to get at. Michael Bauer, you are a card-carrying Democrat. Uh, what do you think of this idea? Well, I, I feel very confident that there are enough Republican senators who believe in Senate traditions, and as a result, believe in the filibuster rule, that they will resist any uh, plea from the president to uh, invoke the nuclear option. And I will go as far as to say that when the, we last saw the nuclear option invoked by Harry Reid and the Democrats in 2013 and federal judicial nominations, had the Republicans been in control, that would have never have happened. And it was a mistake that it did. Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago. Nice to have you back with us. Thank you. Uh, I actually think that the uh, more important thing is to reduce from 30 hours down to eight or some shorter number the number of hours that can be uh, uh, filibustered in effect uh, to prevent uh, nominations from going forward. What we have right now is an unprecedented effort by the Democrats to uh, jam up every single nomination that the Trump administration has put forward. This is not a matter of serious debate. I think serious debate's fine. This is a matter of just trying to slow everything down. In, in the old days, Bruce, there used to be stories, I haven't heard it recently, where uh, when unions wanted to uh, create problems for management, they did work to rule they wouldn't Works do the down. things mm -hmm. that they normally did to <clears throat> right. make everything work. And that's kind of what the Democrats are doing in the Senate. Chris Veronis, you're, uh, you're a Republican, but you're an anti-Trump Republican, never been a supporter, didn't support the president. Uh, where do you come down on the importance of DACA and solving that problem? Do you, think, do you think that one party over the other really wants it solved or they want an issue? Um, 
I, I think um, there is a coalition of the willing out there to do this. No question about it. Democrats and Republicans. Um, you know, the funny thing is, is the president actually has a pretty ambitious proposal out there. Uh, he called for not just the 600,000 Dreamers who registered, but I think it's like a 1.1 1. 1. 1 or 1.8 1. 1. 8. 8. Yeah, 1. 1. 8 million. Yeah. Pretty more ambitious. Than, more than pretty more ambitious. Than, yeah. and, and so I just think Trump's comment the other day is was an off-the-cuff thing that he made up on the fly. Don't, don't think he really believes it. Um, if he really wanted this, he could put his shoulder into it and get it done. Um, because th- this would put get Democrats DACA. DACA. This would put Democrats on their heels if they voted against a bill of 1.8 million dreamers. Yeah. And plus, plus they're, they're talking about some of the money for the wall could come from the Pentagon. So there's room there. I, I just think this really comes down to well, multiple personalities. On, a couple on of weeks ago when you were on the program, uh, Michael, I think you and I both agreed. I think we were that night we were role-playing. We were pretending like yes. you were a United States senator. Yes. <laughs> and basically the deal that we suggested is it's a straight deal. The, the deal is we're going to build the wall. The, the Democrats are going to give you know twenty five million to build the billion to build the wall, right. and uh, one point eight million uh, DACA residents are going to be on the pathway to citizenship. And, you and like I think, that idea. And, and not only do, did I like that idea, I still like the idea. I think the president yeah. has complicated the deal yeah. though, because it turns out he not only wants money for for the wall, full funding for the wall, which is fine from my perspective, in return for. Uh, legalizing the 1.8 million uh, persons uh, who could be covered by DACA, the Dreamers, but he also wants an end to family migration and an end to the visa lottery system. And I think those are both deal breakers for the, for Democrats as they should be. Well, you know, I don't know because they, you know, really the the I mean the Democrats have somewhat conceded already that they would be willing to pay for the wall. Um, I don't. I don't hear that issue as much among Democrats about the chain migration, especially with regards to... Well, you don't hear it from 1. the Democrats. Yeah. You, you hear it from the Republicans. Right. It's the House Republicans that want to push for these other right. two points, right. which the president supports, but he's not necessarily going to push on it. And I'm just saying yeah. is that what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago yeah. is if you, if you cut this thing down and you yeah. gave each side a, a big win... We could cut right. it down. That, that, well, that's exactly it. Deal. And, and, and you know... What this issue, this issue, I, I think more than any other, just because we've been dealing with it since 1986, yep. uh, needs leadership. George Bush tried it, but it was late in his presidency. I, I think within, like, in, with, after, after the six-year itch. Right. Barack Obama didn't do anything. He had a Democratic majority. Right. It didn't years, do anything. Yeah. And it was just lip service that he used to get reelected. If Trump wanted this, if Trump wanted this, not everyone's going to get what they want. It's called compromise, and that's what we're supposed to do in Congress. If, the, if, if yeah. President Trump wanted this, it would happen. But wait a minute. I think President Trump wants this to happen. He's the one that said to his base, hey, guys, you don't want any path to citizenship. We're got 1.8 million people. We're going to give you what the Democrats want. It's his base. He, he's standing up to his base. The Democrats aren't standing up to their base. Well, wait a minute. I, I think I, he's uh, all let, over the issue. Let Paul well, Ryan, the let Paul Ryan yeah. pass a bill out of the House and send it to the Senate and provide a, 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 a legal status for 1.8 million dreamers and $25 billion for the wall. And, and let's see who, you know, who's, uh, who's uh, kidding and who's not. I don't think you'd get votes for it. Do you think in the House? Well, I think that 
if you don't have the chain migration and you don't have the family reunification thing, you're going to have a lot of Republicans peel off from it. So it's a hard one to square. I think Trump would take the deal, just the wall. You're saying he'd vote against the wall. No, he wouldn't. He would take a deal that didn't include. The House Republicans would vote against the wall. He would take a deal that wouldn't include. They would vote against the wall if it didn't include the other stuff. Well, here's the point. He gets to say, I got the wall. Here's the point. He wants the wall. Before the judge weighed in, and said that the March 5th deadline was no longer sacrosanct, yes. both sides were really pushing. They were both yes. under the gun yeah. from their constituencies. Yeah. And if they would have kept it to just those points, I think the House Republicans would have swallowed on that, and they would have said, okay, we're going to do. We're going to give you the 1.8. We're gonna, we want to build the wall, but these other two things that we really want, we're going we're gonna to forego. I think that's the only feasible deal. Back I think that's the only Chicago. one. This March, Goodman Theatre Artistic Director Robert Falls presents a thrilling new production of Ibsen's timely classic, An Enemy of the People. When a water contamination crisis puts their town in peril, two brothers face off in a battle of political ambitions and moral integrity. The fate of the community hangs in the balance. The Village Voice raves, An Enemy of the People is exhilarating to experience. An Enemy of the People at Goodman Theatre. March 10th through April 15th. Tickets at goodmantheatre.org. Bruce Dumont back. Uh, nice to have you with us on Easter Sunday, also Passover. And my question to everybody is, you all remember that when Donald Trump was elected, there were those that think he was elected because the R- Russians helped him. And everybody's been waiting for Donald Trump to say something horrible about Vladimir Putin. And everybody's been accusing Donald Trump of, uh, of uh, just bending over backwards to help the Russians. And yet last week, uh, we, we sent out of the country uh, without ceremony uh, a lot of the diplomats, a lot of Russian diplomats, because of what happened uh, with their involvement uh, in the poisoning of the uh, spy in, in Britain. And then the Soviets have responded in like, and they're sending, sending the United States uh, ambassadors and their corps out in, in buses. So we've got all these diplomats going out of Moscow, going out of Washington, D.C., and the story on some of the Sunday morning shows today was, oh, my heavens, are we, this is the worst time since the Cold War. And now the same people that were yelling at Donald Trump for being weak on the Soviets, or the Russians, rather, uh, now they're singing a little different tune. Professor, well, where do you – I want to get everybody's reaction to this. Is, uh, how tough do we have to be with the Russians? What the Russians did, poisoning people in Western democracies, on Western democratic soil, as a clearly as a signal, this was not a current threat. Um, they were telling everybody, if you betray uh, the Kremlin, we will come get you and kill you wherever you are. This is absolutely unacceptable. Uh, this let, me, let, me, let, me, let me play devil's advocate, and I don't want people to think I'm a Kremlin supporter now. Brewski. But what I'm but what I'm saying is You read. If, you read, Bruce. If you are a political leader wherever you are, yeah. and someone crosses you, isn't politics 101? You make them pay that price. You make them pay Yeah, but you don't kill them, Bruce. I'm not you don't poison I'm, them. What I'm saying is you're you're arguing that the Soviets we should come down on the Soviets because they have acted well, improperly and I think everybody at this table look. Bruce, Killing people is me. not what we're well, talking about. Well, and this about. particular um, former Russian spy was it was he was actually part of a deal. So there was a deal struck when he was 
um, given um, sanctuary in Britain. So it's not just like you're hunting people down wherever they're hiding. There's more information. He violated basically a drill, a a deal, and so that is becomes a state-to-state issue. And the other thing is what they've discovered is there are intentions or attempts to go and do this to other others around the world. I think I think I think Putin has clearly, and he's been done this for several years, sent a direct message. And the message is, I will act with impunity. Yep. I don't really care what anyone thinks. And, and I really know that I don't pay any consequences for and, my actions. And or what I've agreed with you. I mean, is, in some of these is, instances, I, he's Veronis, agreed not to. Well, I, I, I've got to say, I'm glad that the president grew a spine on this issue. And I, I, say, that, I say that more as an American citizen than I do a, a Trump critic. I, some of the things that he said, I, I just boggle the mind. Well, uh, Vladimir Putin says he didn't interfere, so I believe him. You know, and I just don't understand this kind of Wait a minute. weakness. George Bush looked in his eye. How is that different? And, and so that How was is silly. That, different? that was silly. Both but things. Both things can be here, true. Here's my here's, here's my point. Here's my point. I want everybody to tell me where I'm wrong in this. Okay. What's first of all during the campaign, Donald Trump said he was going to treat Russia differently. He said when, when, when he was being criticized during the campaign for this alleged softness on Russia, he said, yeah, but he, he said, what's, ro- what's, hold, hold wrong with, what? what's, what's wrong with having, as the president of the United States, someone who can get along with Vladimir Putin? Barack what's Obama, Barack Obama when he ran in 2008, said that he was going to pass national health care. Does that mean I can't criticize it because he promised it? I mean, no, it, it, this is a wrong-headed policy. Cozying up to, to one of the biggest geopolitical threats in the world, oh, Vladimir Putin, it, he, well, he was opening is it it. Stupid, it's a stupid up? thing. Do you think it's cozying up? He was opening up uh, an avenue if uh, Putin wanted uh, to make compromises with the West. He was opening the door quite wide. I think what we've seen is that Putin has no intention of doing that. And uh, so you're getting a huge pushback. Quietly, uh, it hasn't been remarked, but uh, the United States has provided uh, lethal assistance to Ukraine to fight back. That's something that Susan Rice and John Kerry and the other invertebrates that were running foreign policy uh, uh, didn't do, refused to do. I think that we've got uh, uh, the – declaratory policy has been very different from the actual policy. Final, right. final thing that I would say, I think it's absolutely crucial that Angela Merkel belly up to the bar on this. If the Europeans are going to approve more and more purchases of oil and gas right. from uh, Russia, none of this will matter. Well, here's the weird thing I don't understand about Trump. I think you're right, Charles. The actions out of the Trump administration, you know, the selling anti-aircraft missiles to the Ukrainian government, um, expelling a bunch of uh, Russian diplomats. But for some reason, the president himself is reticent to ever criticize Vladimir Putin by name. He even has a conversation with him and congratulates him on, on an win. election there was a <laughs> fa- there was win. a that's, that's a fake election. Right. Told not to do it. Right, and he was but, told but, not to do it. But, 
But you it's know, remarkable. and he does. But I feel like that's that's Donald Trump. He operates on one level where he will say things like "congratulations." And to be honest, you don't even know how much tongue in cheek he meant by that. But the other thing is, there does seem to be a certain dichotomy with how we're dealing with Russia. One of the things is we we are working with Europe to expel diplomats yeah. and probably come up with a solution on limiting their sales of oil and gas to Europe. But we're also, on the other hand, turning our backs and leting them run ragged over the Middle East. Do we, so. I guess the big difference here is that the inside the Beltway and the Democrats, they're upset because Donald Trump is not just spitting, you know, vituperative uh, vile against Vladimir Putin. They want him to rip Vladimir Putin apart like he ripped every Republican apart in the primary like he rips uh, Kim Jong-un apart. What's wrong with having a president who decides, at least when you're dealing with your number one adversary, and I think that is Russia, that, and he knows, because they're cut from the same cloth, he knows this guy is egomaniacal. I'm talking about Putin. Or you could say the same thing about the president. But the point is, he's decided in his mind, I'm not going to stick this guy in the eye because... I got to make a deal with this guy. I get along with this guy. This this guy, if if I go after him like I've gone after some other of my opponents, he's going to take it differently, and that would not be well, in the best interest. Tell, yeah. tell you what's wrong with your theory. Go ahead. What's wrong with your theory is is Donald Trump went after Kim Jong Un, righteously for months, for months, now, for months. Yeah. yeah. And and we appear to be moving toward a meeting. Right. Possibly a bilateral right. meeting between Trump and, and Kim Jong Un, and at a point three months ago, where both countries were talking about firing nuclear missiles at each other, we no longer are. Now, Kim Jong Un rep- reflects strength and respects strength, as does Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a puncher, by his own. Well, right. so is Vladimir Putin. Right. And by the way, you know, if, you push, but, if you push Putin, but how many people are strength? thinking that? Wait a minute. Okay, I, I, I want to. Yeah. I want to get everybody to follow up and react to what Michael just said. My argument, counter-argument to that yes. would be sometimes you got to talk tough to one person and a little bit softer to another. Exactly. I like They're your not argument, the same. Well, not the I same like guy. the way uh, you've seen the president also do this to President Xi of China. He has not talked tough to him. He's talked Hell tough no. to China, but not, not to, to Xi. He's never made it personal. And never made it personal, which is odd for a president who makes everything personal. Uh, personal. Right. I think that if you're Putin, what you really looked at this over the last couple of weeks is a couple of things. First, Pompeo and Bolton. Right. This is bad news if you're if you're the Kremlin. And the second is that I don't think he expected such uniform fury and pushback from the West. Now, it's been mostly uh, fire and fury, you'll pardon the expression, mm-hmm. rather than really deep uh, cutting sanctions, right. but I think right. if he right. does anything else, he's gonna he he will have stepped right. across something right. very big. Ru- I mean, the, 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 you, you raise a good point about China, and we've always had a, a policy of engagement where the belief was, you know, I, I think wrongheadedly, economic liberalization is going to win the day. I mean, that hasn't happened since we've done it in the '90s. China has had human rights abuses. China has not tried to manipulate uh, our election and is setting the stage to do the same thing in 2018. And I think your analogy is, is pretty apt. Where I was going to go is 
Khrushchev and Kennedy and Gorbachev and Reagan. Right. Khrushchev dismissed Kennedy, didn't respect him, didn't fear him. Um, yeah, arguably, you could say that led to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, it led to the Cuban he had it, it to led, deal with Reagan. It right. led, it, but, but let me just, uh, historical point. The Gorbachev uh, Kennedy situation, not only did Kennedy's have Khrushchev. no success Kennedy, yeah. Kennedy and Khrushchev. Yeah. Not only was there no success for Kennedy at that meeting, two months later, Khrushchev started to build the Berlin Wall. Yes. Right. right. And, well, and, and, the, and so I, I think the takeaway here is that Vladimir Putin will continue to operate with impunity if he understands there's no consequences and, for his actions. Remember, in the and, phone and, and call. This poisoning, it, the poisoning could have been testing boundaries. Yeah, remember, happens. in the phone call, in the last phone call that they had, uh, the congratulatory one, uh, Trump threatened an arms race. I mean, it was didn't get much attention, but yeah. he said, "If yeah. you he want an arms race, we'll arms race." And yeah. they said, "We'll build it bigger and better than you will." Yeah. He made that Trump very would clear. say that he would build it he, bigger and better. He did. Concept, he said that. But use of terms, bigger and better. Back shortly from Chicago. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining. If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Wish you went back in Chicago. Hope you've had a wonderful Easter Passover dinner today. And uh, around the table, we've got great guests, and they're going to introduce themselves to you right now. And we're going to start with our Republican, Stephanie Hitt. Stephanie? I am a reformed attorney and Republican activist and former delegate to the Republican National Convention and mother of four teenagers. Chris Veronis. I'm a disillusioned Republican, but, <laughs> but hopeful, hopeful for a better future. Um, probably more conservative. I run a communications firm. ESOP Communications Group, and uh, I'm a blogger on Medium. Charles Lipson. I'm a professor at the University of Chicago. I do some blogging. I write for Real Clear Politics. I'm just back from uh, more than a week in Israel and uh, uh, mostly do international politics. Michael Bauer. And I serve as the uh, co-chairman of the State of Illinois Holocaust and Genocide Commission, and I'm involved in a number of political activities mostly around federal issues. Back to our discussion. Uh, the United States and Russia, they have expelled diplomats from each of the capitals. What happens next? What, what, is, the, what is the next thing that happens? Is it, going to be, is it going to be a further punch in the nose from each side? Is it going to be some olive branch from each side? What happens yeah. next in your view, Chris? I, you know, um, at this point, Vladimir Putin's move is to stand back. And just let things play out. Um, they say that the options that were taken, if you look at it, tough, tougher, and toughest, they took the middle ground to save some, 
to save another stick if P- Putin tries something again. I think if you're Putin, you try and de-escalate um, because this didn't, this didn't work out maybe how he thought. I, I, I happen to think that's my theory. John Brennan uh, last week uh, said in an interview that uh, he would not be surprised if uh, Putin and the Kremlin had something on Donald Trump. Does anybody believe that that's possible? I think possible. that whenever Brennan and Clapper open their mouth, they're an <laughs> embarrassment to the United States of here, America. Here. I think that these people, to have senior people who engaged in what looks to me like widespread abuse of civil liberties to get behind to use intelligence agencies to spy on people and then now to go on cable show after cable show to attack their successor using the information that they acquired illicitly and secretly as servants of the United States. These people are scum of the earth. Anybody response to that? I, well, I happen to agree with and you. I, you know what, if they, Clapper's a certified liar, number one. And if, they, if yeah. Russia had something on Trump, I think we would have known about it by now. What And what's the worst thing? The worst thing that they might have on him, I think most of us would agree, would probably be something involving some sort of extramarital tryst and whatever. No, not Donald Trump. People don't care. Disagree with I, what, what do you think that Donald Trump could have done that would, would have be been financial. worse I, I, than I that? Think, I think the, the concern, I'm not making that this is a statement, the concern is that there are financial dealings yeah. with the, between the Trump Organization and perhaps Deutsche Bank, where much of the money flowing into Deutsche Bank is coming from Russian interests, oligarchs close to Putin. Now, I say that as an allegation. I'm not trying to say it's true. And I think one of the things about the Mueller investigation is that it's getting into a lot of financial issues right now. And I think we should all just be patient and keep our mouths shut while the investigation is going on, and see what comes out of I this. Really we could, like we could but we have a show every Sunday that we got to fill yeah. two hours. I, Chris <laughs> Peronis. I, <I've, laughs> that's I, what we're here I've, for. Yeah. I, I've been um, a Trump critic pretty consistently, but the reality is in this political environment, Trump's critics want to cut his head off. Yes. And, you know, honestly, this speculation, that's all it is. And uh, it's unfounded. They put it out there. Well, it's, it's, you know, this has been reported. It's an allegation. It's silly. It's stupid. You know, I wish we could get back to, um, like, the, 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 pure, the pure ball game where you let an investigation play out unmolested. That can't happen. That well, can't but happen. I, I guess, I guess but, the but, but I, Go ahead. Yeah. So I guess the takeaway is I don't want to indulge speculation like that. I just like to see this investigation play out. Let me t- yes. let me explain what bothers me about the Mueller investigation going down all these tracks. I supported the initial idea of the Mueller investigation on two grounds. I didn't. I thought there were legitimate concerns about Russian involvement. I didn't think uh, that the DOJ uh, could investigate that. Uh, uh, a Trump DOJ could investigate uh, that about itself. I premised that on the idea that it would be a quick investigation and it would be a focused investigation. It has been neither. I don't think that um, the idea of letting an almost unlimited team 
of people to follow every financial transaction uh, everywhere, even if they were to find illegalities, is the way that our system works. We just don't appoint prosecutors without a crime to investigate and tell them, go look for something and see if you can find a crime. We also need to have answers, and we need to have them rapidly. Well, well we don't, but we, we don't get answers rapidly in this country. And I, I want to go back to where I think at least where I, where I think at least half of the voting population of the United States is right now. And I think John, I think uh, John Brennan spoke for those people. I think there's a vast majority, maybe even a majority of people in this country, who believe that Donald Trump has not spoken out, you know, viciously against Vladimir Putin. Because mm-hmm. Donald Trump fears that Putin and the KGB have something on it. It may be, it may be sex nature. It may be business-related. But in his heart, he has some fear for that. That is a, you know, it, do we have those facts yet? No. Will we ever have those facts? Probably not. But that, that, that thought is at least, I think, believable. That's, that's a credible Concern. Sure. Specu- yeah. It's yeah. credible speculation. Yes. Right. Well, th- there is a weird sense of timidity Donald Trump has around Putin. It's right. weird and right. un- it's it's I, I yeah I, it's it's unbelievable. Then give, me, then give me another reason why other than what John Brennan suggested. I I, I guess I'm partially agreeing with you, Bruce. I, I mean, it's yeah. th- these these allegations are believable just because of Trump's posture vis-a-vis it, Putin. And here's the big question: Does it, however? Does it force the President of the United States, to, from this point forward, to prove every single day, I'm going to be real tough on Russia, I'm going to be tough, 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 and does that push us to a situation that virtually the vast majority of the American people really don't the want? I mean, nose to nose yeah. with the Soviets or the Russians in a potential the, military the, conflict. I don't think that the uh, Democrats actually particularly favor the tough policy against Russia. I think that they simply saw Trump's weakness as a potentially exploitable political weakness. They've never been tough on the Russians in the past. That's right. Right. And so uh, I think if he were really tough on Russia, as I think he's actually become increasingly tough, they would say he's being uh, a cowboy. He's being overly aggressive. but let's be honest. The only tough I was thing trying Trump to be done, just as a change yeah. of pace. To, 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 <laughs> Trump, the only tough thing Trump's done is expel these diplomats. No, no. The stuff he's done oh. in Ukraine. So I'll, 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 I'll and, give you and his appointments yeah. and, and his national security appointments. Those what? are very tough. And the buildup of the military. Here's, here's, all all and, of and this. Maybe, and maybe he's trying to take it. Let's let's. I'm offering you a possibility, and that is. Maybe he's trying to take a page out of the Reagan playbook. I think that the Reagan and, issue is very important. And I think he is trying to manage that Putin relationship in very much the same way. He's waiting for his Berlin Wall moment um, where he can come out and say it. But, you know, Reagan... not call for the tearing down of any wall. Yeah. He's, he'll, he'll build the wall. I will build any wall. Build Put it back. Garbage off. Build that I'm wall. I'm going to rebuild that wall. And um, But I do think that he he senses that it, there's a more of a Reagan-Gorbachev type of playbook that he could follow 
in this relationship. But, but while you have to and he also wants to build up the military. He's made that very clear. Like, while this is going on, while Russia's testing, he's just approved all this money to go to the military. Yep. At so the on. expense of the State At Department. At the expense. And that is, that is his... It's his deeds are clearly demonstrating. So I, I love the hawkish appointments. I, I just like to see the president agree with all of his advisors <laughs> and his cabinet, his cabinet his officers, his cabinet first. secretaries. Right, right, right. Say like Russia's bad news. Right, right. He can't it do it. Last long enough. There is that issue. Michael, you, you know, were you, know you know, the uh, uh, there is an issue of collusion. Obviously, the Mueller is looking into. And, and there's a twofold question of, of declusion. You know, if, if collusion occurred, was the intention, A, to defeat Hillary Clinton, or was the in- collusion intended to elect Donald Trump? Or, am I, yeah. or was, was the dis- sowing discord in the body politic, was that the number one goal, yeah. and they couldn't that's care, right. they were going they to win no matter who won. Who won. This and, right. By the way, and that, yeah. so that that's fair. Worked, so I think it's important for this investigation to to go to its completion. And by the way, I Charles, agree. it hasn't been a long time. You know, Mueller was uh, was appointed middle of May last year. It's not even been eleven months, which is a short period of time. I'm sorry for how legal well, compared to other go. comparable yes. investigations. Yes. Yes. Contra, the problem and the tiredness comes or, from or what is he what is he getting people on? He's getting people on like Manafort, these relations, these business connections. Nothing to do with Russia or collusion. So where where they have been going finding people and where they've been getting confessions don't have to do with the original Well but you when don't know what they're back, testifying to. When we come back where we're gonna it? talk yeah. about North Korea and Stormy Daniels. Don't go away. <laughs> Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Back in Chicago, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, let's switch gears. I talked about Stormy Daniels and talk about North Korea. We're going to talk about North Korea first. Oh, uh, Kevin, well, you'll just have Together. to wait. We have a whole second hour. We can delve okay. into that. Um, because we have a evolving leadership at the State Department. Uh, John Bolton coming in, a national security advisor. He does not have to be uh, confirmed by the Senate. Right. Uh, Michael Pompei does, and also the new head of the CIA also needs to be uh, uh, dealt with as well and confirmed by the Senate. Are we going to be properly prepared, Chris Veronis, for this big meeting, or does Donald Trump going to wing it? Let's certainly hope so. Let's certainly hope so. Hope so. Which way? That he is prepared, oh. that we are prepared. Um, his comments out of the gate were a little unsettling. Um, a date certain for 
uh, the negotiations. Um, and North Korea and, has and not all, confirmed it yet. They have not approved right, it yet. Right. Ex- ex- which, which is a little uh, – that, that's also unsettling because if, if this is supposed to be mutual olive branch extension, North Korea is, is a no-show. And, and plus there's also was a concern early that the South Koreans were going further than maybe than we wanted. Yes. Um, yeah. So um, these new appointments are suggestive about – tougher posture. We're going to be prepared. Um, so I, there's a hope. And um, there's also a fear, too, that's legitimate, that Donald Trump, my theory, will take any deal that's presented, and he'll claim it as a victory, and we could have an Obama-Iran deal all over again, but Trump says this is a good thing. I don't, I I, don't I, think I, I, well, South, I think South could, Korea Charles, won't. Charles yeah. is shaking his head. He's fighting. Charles, Donald Trump is fighting like 30 years of history of, of three or four different presidents. And, and so yeah. I, I, I think Trump wants a deal. He wants I a deal, well, yeah. and, and he'll right. take half a loaf. Well, he, he might, uh, Charles. And that, that's, that's concerning. Charles. I think if, the, if any deal ends up with North Korea having ICBMs uh, with nuclear missiles that can be fitted atop them that can reach the United States— uh, Americans will rightly understand that that deal was a failure. Donald Trump promised that that's what would be blocked yep. by the deal. Well, and I don't think, and I think that the uh, main thing that he's got to show, uh, Kim, and the Chinese right now, is that they can't play rope-a-dope, that they can't play uh, a, a stalling game. And my hunch is that on this stuff, he'll go in Really well prepared. So, 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 and, and, since since the meeting was announced yes. last week, Kim Jong Un, for the first time as a leader of the state, he went and went to China and met the head of China. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, to me, that was a masterful stroke on his part. Masterful. Yes. He's he has already upstaged President Trump in the preparation of this visit, because now we don't Secret know. Visit. We. Uh, yeah, it was a secret visit. Right. Michael, am I missing something No, here? My, my big concern is, is exactly what you articulated, Bruce, that the president's going to go into this meeting and he's going to be ill-prepared for this meeting. I mean, this is a president who, frankly, does, does not study enjoy getting his presidential daily briefing of significant intelligence issues every day, doesn't like briefing books, doesn't like, you know, he, he gets bored probably with anything more than one or two pages. And and he has he doesn't really have a firm team around him yet. I mean, Bolton may be a smart guy. I don't really personally care for the guy politically, but but he, he's a smart guy. But he hasn't even taken his position yet. The State Department is greatly understaffed. I mean, the national security team well, I, is is, well, is actually in flux. Bolton. Bolton is actually, I think, going to be very key to this, and that yes. is he is he is hawkish. I mean, he is one of the most stalwart critics of what Obama did with Iran. He is not going to let the same slippery slope happen with Trump and South and North Korea. And I also think that he does have people around him or who are preparing him to work. Through South Korea and China, on who are these people? We are not. We, we, who are these we people don't even has? have. Example, we don't even have an ambassador to South Korea. Right. Uh, one third of the State Department's budget 
has been cut. We don't have ostensibly the institutions. Yeah. We don't have the institutional well, knowledge not, in true. the State and Department. And Fulton doesn't even have a start date so, yet. He does so, the ninth of so, April. He has to wind down his uh, packs. I don't think he's wound I down thought his packs that his yet. date was. 9th of April, yeah, but okay. Charles, well, you, you said that Donald Trump drew yeah. the line in the sand with North Korea. I, you know, I heard that before with Bill Clinton, and then we built them a reactor. I heard it from George Bush, and, well, a bunch of deals that right. the, the North Koreans cheated on. I heard it from Barack Obama. It's the same thing, and I think you underestimated the frenetic quality of this president to say, hey, we lived with mutually assured destruction for 50 years with the Soviet Union. And you know what? We would obliterate North Korea if they tried anything. Uh, When I talk to my friends who are uh, real international relations professionals and nuclear uh, experts, they've all gone with the line that you take, namely – that we could live with a nuclear North Korea. I'm not, I'm be, not saying we should. And, I'm uh, saying Donald Trump would, would say de- that. Deterrent. I think that the deal that Donald Trump is trying to offer, Kim, is you denuclearize, we don't kill you. Right. <laughs> Which I, might be acceptable I, to what's it when we come, when we What's in his family in power? But here's, I proposed this uh, a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to propose it again on the other side of the news. Uh, we're also going to continue on that, and that is what we what we get from from Kim Jong Un is he is going to denuke his all of his facilities. We have to figure out a way to see that he's doing it. Verify in return. In return, we pull all U.S. troops out of the Korean Peninsula. All we won't do it. Right, that's my question. You've already given me your answer, so you won't get You can cut the second hour of the program, Bruce. (laughs) There you go. We will be back. We'll talk about that. And also, where does Stormy Daniels fit into all of this? All of that comes up in the second hour of Beyond the Beltway. If you're watching this show on television, we hope we look good tonight. And we'll see you next week. If you're listening to us on radio, another full hour coming up. Don't move from where you are. This March, Goodman Theater Artistic Director Robert Falls presents a thrilling new production of Ibsen's timely classic, An Enemy of the People. When a water contamination crisis puts their town in peril, two brothers face off in a battle of political ambitions and moral integrity. The fate of the community hangs in the balance. The Village Voice raves, An Enemy of the People is exhilarating to experience. An Enemy of the People at Goodman Theater. March 10th through April 15th. Tickets at goodmantheater.org. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look. 
an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. Live from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public service professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Michael Bauer, Stephanie Hitt, Charles Lipson, and Chris Veronis. Our program tonight coming from our base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, where our toll-free lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. And again, if you want to join us on the World Wide Web, Audio and video, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It's beyondthebeltway.com. Remember, beyondthebeltway.com. If you ever miss a show uh, watching on television or listening on radio, you'll find it uh, on the website. You can go back months and years and and look at past shows. Uh, I want to talk this evening about uh, the upcoming visit of the president uh, to meet North Korea, this big summit. Uh, My question uh, to everyone is, what is it that what is the number one thing that you think Donald Trump should try to get out of this summit meeting? What what should be his goal, Michael Bauer, our Democrat? Well, I, I would hope his number one goal would be the denuclearization of North Korea. I'm not sure that's a feasible goal, though. And Chris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie Hitt, go ahead. Well, I think I think his goal will be, and I think his red line will be, the um, the cease of testing and development, and a gradual denuclearization. I don't know if he'll get a complete one, but he will work to that. I think there will be some exchanges, you know, involving photo ops. But Chris Veronis, conservative, moderate, anti-Trump Republican. But what do you want the president to do? What he should do is different from what he would, would do. What, what he should sh- he do? What he should do is the North Koreans give up their nukes, and we lift some sanctions. Maybe we recognize them. We, you know, we, we open up an embassy in Pyongyang. That's what should happen. Charles Lipson, what should he do? I think that uh, he will move toward uh, a complete denuclearization. I don't think we will give them anything other than the removal of sanctions. Um, And I think that we will want inspections. um, Mm -hmm. And I think that the interim goal is no testing of either um, the uh, delivery systems or the weapons. If he gives up his nukes, the North Koreans, if they give up their nukes, um, 
without the United States doing something militarily. I mean, basically saying, we're going to pull back, too. I had suggested, what if we say we're going to pull all U.S. troops out of the Korean Peninsula? Now, you don't think that's a good idea, Charles. Why not? I think that what we would do if he pulls those out is we would recognize the regime and we would, in effect, without saying so in so many words, say that we are not trying to overthrow you. You will not end up in a ditch uh, with a bullet in your head, and your other people won't. Uh, But I don't think we can can put on the table – Taking, I think it's thirty-two thousand American troops out of South Korea. That's because, correct. frankly, those thirty-two thousand American troops are there to protect our allies, South Korea, and from, Japan. From, and Japan. Well, yeah. but but clearly, without those thirty-two thousand uh, American troops there, you could easily have a very powerful North Korean uh, army cross the border. It already has. It already yeah. has one. But again, Donald, no, 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 but Donald, the border. Donald Trump during the campaign, however, said, we don't want a nation build. Yeah. We have too I, many troops on foreign soil. I mean, I would think that his base might like that idea. Bring the troops home. Of course they well, would. Now, again, <laughs> we could now, reduce they, well, that. Well, go ahead. Of course they would like I, it, but. But it's bad policy. And, you know, some guy who lives in Peoria shouldn't be deciding our foreign policy. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, you know, if people really want to understand our policy and our relationship with North Korea, they should read an article by Nicholas Eberstadt, who wrote the book Men Without Work. But uh, in commentary, he wrote a long article about our history with North Korea. And what you find is that this hermit kingdom, this outlaw nation, brilliantly duped the United States over 30 years, cheated, lied. Um, This is the same country that uh, instigated a man-made famine. And, and, And so Trump is walking into these negotiations with this history. Uh, A guy who's erratic, changes his mind, fires people. Uh, uh, it's, It's a little unsettling. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I have to say, I like the appointment. It might be a little, unsettling. Might be a little like unsettling to Kim Jong Un as well. Well, and the other I don't thing know, is, I don't know who I'm walking. I'm, I'm walking. Yeah. By the way, you if, talk, if, you if, talk if about I'm a, Kim Kim Jong Un, I, I, I like my hand right you now. You said you, you said that you don't think that foreign policy should be dictated by somebody living in Peoria, Illinois. So let's go to Tom, who's listening to us in Rockford, Illinois, on XM. <laughs> That's who should Radio. dictate it, Bruce. Yeah, Rockford, We're going to yes. see if Tom wants Peoria, to dictate no. it. Tom, nice to have you with um, us on Beyond the Beltway. How are you doing? Okay. Um, you know, I think it was in the Obama administration, and Colonel Powell, I believe he was in uniform, and he was at a hearing, and they asked him what would happen with North Korea. And his quote was, he would turn it into a parking lot. I don't know if uh, anybody's ever brought that up, how serious it was back then, and it's still serious, and that uh, that's basically what... Here's the point. I, I, I would say that I, I, I don't think it was serious when he said it. I don't think that it's serious now. You know, we do have the ability to make a significant strike against the North Koreans, it's pretty hard to believe that they wouldn't have the ability to strike back, which means they could kill hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people in South Korea, and they would do that. 
and maybe in Guam and maybe in Japan. They certainly have the ability to strike back. And again, if you follow this debate over the last several, uh, I would say almost a year and a half about North Korea, virtually every current military leader has basically said there is no really good military solution right. to North Korea. So, I mean, right. we're hearing that in this country. They've got to be hearing that, that certainly the intelligence of North Korea has got to be hearing that. I think they realize that we're not in any position to, to wage a military strike against them. And it seems to me that one of the challenges of the president is to be able to explain to Kim Jong-un, hey, we don't want to wipe you off the face of the earth, but we don't want you to have nuclear weapons so you can, you can rain fear on, on, on the rest of the world, or at least uh, on the rest of those well, in that sector of the world. And, he, and we have to see whether or not the president could convince Kim Jong-un that that's true. Well, one of the things I, and we're trying to see what, what does King Jong, Kim Jong-un really want out of this, and um, I think Trump's point will have to be, you know, your, your mere survival, and maybe we give them some, some points for validation. That's what I mean. Is that what he's ultimately seeking? Yes. Is validation? He needs and if we can he validate needs respect. him, respect he and validate. I think there's ways to do that um, without wiping him off. Within within a 60 day period, Kim Jong Un has, was can say to his people, "I've gone to China." We have the video of that. That was last right. week. I've gone to you and I've met with the President of the United States. That's not a bad 60 day. Uh, a right, record, right. track record for him to take to his people uh, back shortly from Chicago with your thoughts. This March, Goodman Theater Artistic Director Robert Falls presents a thrilling new production of Ibsen's timely classic, An Enemy of the People. When a water contamination crisis puts their town in peril, two brothers face off in a battle of political ambitions and moral integrity. The fate of the community hangs in the balance. The Village Voice raves, an enemy of the people is exhilarating to experience. An enemy of the people at Goodman Theater. March 10th through April 15th. Tickets at goodmantheater.org. Come on back in Chicago. As we prepare for this uh, summit meeting uh, with North Korea, what should we be doing in the area of trade? Because obviously we trade with China, we trade with South Korea, and we trade with Japan. Uh, is this a time to... Uh, use this next uh, several weeks to uh, throw some curveballs on, on our trade relations. Well, there, there is already discussion already about our, our current trade agreement with South Korea being somewhat contingent on how they manage these next rounds of talks with You Putin. and so, I think of trade and uh, security issues as being related. That is, why should we, they're both related to Japan or they're related to China. In fact, the U.S. government treats them almost entirely separately unless the president of the United States himself decides he's going to combine them. Right. That's what's been uh, – the only time that that doesn't happen is right after major wars like World War II when George Marshall and Harry Truman combine them all. What you're seeing with Trump is he looks at all these instruments and looks at them together. The problem with assessing what Trump is doing is that he is both a kind of nationalist protectionist uh, in principle, and I think he doesn't have any principles. That is, I think all of his principles are negotiations. So when he tells you that he doesn't like NAFTA uh, uh, in its current form, 
you never know whether what he's really looking for is a much better deal and would like to keep NAFTA, uh, but with uh, uh, revised terms, or whether he really wants more protectionism. And I think that he is actually in a very strong position with regard to China. China's economy depends upon uh, trading with the world. So uh, to hear you, uh, Michael, do you believe then that that with this president, the fact that he's – He's a he's a trader. He's a deal maker, and now he's dabbling in foreign policy. Is this good that he he has the right brain to think about how to tie these things together? Well, I think Charles's point is well taken. The, the The problem I have with the president is whether he has the credibility and and the uh, and the capability of weaving these together and cutting an uh, an overall deal. You know, you're suggesting. You know, that, that trade is one of the weapons he uses with China. And you're absolutely right. I just, you know, from day to day, you know, you never know with, with Donald Trump where anything stands. He's a, he's a very fluid guy on, on all sorts of issues. You know, the other thing that obviously is always important when you have these big summit meetings is really sort of the stagecraft, how it's all put together. And, and so much was, has been said and written about uh, you know, when, when Reagan and Gorbachev got together, even when Kennedy and Khrushchev got together. Yes. I mean, this, this is a really big deal. Yes. And again, uh, uh, I think we saw, at least the world of media saw, the, the way in which Kim Jong-un and his very attractive wife and his very attractive daughter were seen meeting with the president of China who, with his very attractive wife. I mean, this was, yeah. this was a big deal. He had never yes. done it before. Yes. So now uh, Kim Jong-un... He's going to be in his second big show. Right. Donald Trump hasn't been to his first really big show with any with any big players yet, and he isn't going to go to he isn't going to Moscow before he goes uh, to to meet with the North Koreans. So my question is the whole stagecraft of it. I mean, the photo op, the way it looks to not only the North Koreans but the world and to the and, and to uh, the Americas as the leaders of these two. Uh, countries and again, the the, the South Korean president is going to be in that picture as well. I'm sure. Right. Um, and so, well, what, you know, what's this, it, well, what, here's my big question. This, is a, yeah. this may sound like a silly question, and I made the comment about the attractiveness of Kim Jong Un's yeah. wife and daughter. Do we know absolutely that Melania would go on this trip? Are you worried? that she yeah. may not want to go on this trip, and what would that look like to the other side and to the rest of the world? I think she would go on the trip, um, and uh, or, you know, as a substitute, he'd bring his daughter Ivanka. Or both. And bring them both. And I, you were mentioning the silliness of it, but stagecraft is important. One of the things, and I think back to... Um, uh, Kim Jong-un's father, for example, who wore lifts in his shoes. How interesting it would be, I know this sounds silly, as you say, is the fact that Donald Trump towers over him. And when you look at the photo op, I mean, I do believe that for North North Korea, the photo op is almost everything. That is significant. The validation that that gives is so much more important, those images, than we think of here in the United States. I think we're a little more jaded by that. I don't, I think that when you put them physically next to each other, 
That's going to make for a very interesting thing. Will he I, be on a stand? I think Will they be eye to eye? We, we may be in a situation where that photo op may not happen. Exactly. Because, because first of all, the South Korean president would have to be in it. But, but Donald Trump yes. is over six feet tall. Kim Jong-un is 5.7. Right. Yes. Uh, five feet seven. So you're not going right. to. They, they may want a a, 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 a seated shot. A seated shot. A seated shot. shot? Right. Yeah. Right. I, I, right. What, uh, what I asked. I asked the question, and, and it was not meant to be a facetious question, because obviously, with all the Stormy Daniels <laughs> discussions and all the the womanizing charges against the president, um, one has to think that the 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 marriage is at least it's a it's a difficult conversation at night. Uh, we don't know any more than that. But again, uh, there have been instances where she does not appear to be really enjoying her role of walking aside her husband, the president. Swatting his hand. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm wondering, uh, d- does this get into an important uh, – does this move into something of relevance now if, if she's not there – to counter the pictures that will be around I, the world. I think it is of great she, difficulty to the president if the first lady does not accompany him she has on a, a major diplomatic mission like yes. this. Yes. Where, where the wife, right? yes. And he has to figure out what he has to do to get her to agree to she, go I think, with her. I think she realizes Has that, she too. been reluctant I to? Right. I mean, I I, she may right. not be there for everything, but there, there's been no indication that she's difficult in these ways or she refuses to stand if, by his side when it's important. If she doesn't uh, want to, uh, if for some reason she is reluctant to uh, accompany him and he can't persuade her, then they'll make it just the principles. The other yes, side won't yes, break. Yes. But uh, I think that the big, the big, we haven't talked about where they'll meet. Yep. Um, yeah. it, it's most likely, I would think, that they would meet at the DMZ um, um, because we wouldn't want to make the meeting in China. It would uh, give the Chinese right. too much influence. Right. Uh, I, I can't see any other place where it really could be. Right. And Would uh, the tables split right down the center? They half would of be the table on the north, half, half on of the, the table on the south. Line. It would be perhaps, however perhaps. they normally. They could send out to China yeah. for Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> That's their role. Well, it could be movie. Movie in Chinese. Uh, but it, it seems to me that the, the key issue would be um, how well is President Trump briefed uh, on this. And I would say that between Pompeo and uh, Bolton, he would be very well briefed, but I don't like the idea that Bolton won't, uh, that that uh, Pompeo at that point may not even be approved, right? They won't have held hearings. Right, right. Uh, it takes time, and right. uh, this is unfortunate. Uh, Pompeo, however, is up to speed. I mean, he's been the head of the uh, CIA, right. so he's... He Bolton would still be advising, need, but he wouldn't still be advising, Bolton, but not Bolton officially would need in that role. Congressional right. Bolton needs nothing. Yeah, yeah. right. Pompeo but does. Bolton is going to bring in a whole team, so he's yeah. going to get rid of McMaster's team. And we, yeah. what we don't know is uh, who, his, who his team will be. Should this, because of that, should this meeting be postponed or delayed? No, no. no. This needs to happen very quickly because the North Koreans have already made it clear they want to, they want to drag it out. They want to stall this. And why? Well, well they, haven't, they, they haven't even confirmed they're going yet. Exactly. They're, you know, this, they're buying time. 
for them, time is the best thing they, on their side. They can continue to develop, to test, to whatever. That the minute they start doing something, and the minute they have China we will watching up them, things. if they try to delay, we will continue to ratchet up. And I think what they've noticed in the, what? Uh, I assume that. Uh, the key thing has to do with whoever's trading with them. Would, By would, the way, that yeah. includes Iran. Iran is a major player here, yes, and we haven't yes, mentioned right. it. Right. But Iran is a major provider, and the other uh, player here is Russia. Russia uh, sees a, pos- uh, a potential to step in if China puts pressure on North Korea and turn North Korea into its client. You know what? I, I wish I shared your confidence that Trump could handle a meeting like this and be properly briefed. I think there are people around him who could brief him. I think he is so resistant to being briefed, to dealing with substance, that, that he is going to be driven by the optics of such a meeting because that, it's another that, reality TV that, show. But that's important, too. No, I Op- understand that. Op- it isn't the most important thing, but optics... It- Look at all the time and space the media of the world but spent on the Olympics focusing on his daughter optics, and, and, and right. what was happening. Optics, uh, optics cut both ways, though. Yes, they do. They, they, they could favor the North Koreans Yes, to, to the detriment of Trump. In what way? Just yeah. give us an example. I mean, In, I, I gave an example, whereas I don't, um, I don't think you're going to see a picture of the two men standing side to side because of the huge difference in size. I'd, I'd be surprised by that. Trump has a physical uh, kind of overbearing presence here, uh, you know, the kind of a masculine virility, yes. kind yep. of American alpha, which, America, which alpha male around machoism, the world right? is actually a plus. Yeah. yeah. Around, so, so, you know. so he has that coming in to this. Um, <laughs> one stumble unwinds all that and, and puts him down to the level of Kim Jong-un. And the North Koreans don't have to do a thing. And so it just speaks to preparation, well, c- kind of yeah. being also, mentally ready, Donald Trump is also having gonna, his head in the game. Donald, media, Donald Trump, rather, is going to have a media that is going to ro- be rooting for him to screw up. I don't think there's any question about that. Back shortly. From- Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760-799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at briansellsthedesert.com. From the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. It's guest introduction time, and we begin with the ever-popular Stephanie Hitt. I am a reformed attorney and Republican activist, former, uh, former delegate to the Republican National Convention, and all of my negotiating skills have been honed by four teenagers. 
and Chris Veronis. I'm the uh, principal of ESOP Communications Group. I'm uh, a struggling Republican. Uh, first found conservatism reading National Review, and I'm a, a blogger on Medium. Charles Lipson. I teach at the University of Chicago, write for Real Clear Politics, and study international politics. And the pride of Marks, Mississippi. Absolutely. And give us 10 seconds of Henry Kissinger as an impression. Well, the whole negotiations with North Korea really are going to require very careful, (laughs) very careful thought in advance. Now give us another 10 seconds of the clerk at the nearest 7-Eleven. Don't get me started. Don't get. Actually, my voice is my voice is bad right now. So you're going to have to take we'll my word we'll that I can you sell back. you a Slurpee. We we will invite you back, Michael Bauer. Oh I don't know how I how I follow that. You do any impressions? Uh, at all? I do not do any impressions. Um, I'm a uh, lifelong Democrat. I've been a delegate to uh, three Democratic national conventions, and uh, I currently serve as co-chairman of the State of Illinois Holocaust and Genocide Commission. I'm involved in a number of local and national uh, activities and organizations. And what your audience ought to know, Bruce, is yes. that we all know each other, and yes. we know you, and it makes for a heck of a good conversation. It is good. It is <laughs> yes. fun. And the only impression I do is Jackie Mason. You don't get a lot of calls for Jackie Mason anymore. I got two liberals. I got two Republicans. I don't know. The butts. Those are the butts. You are the butts. <laughs> Now, if you know Jackie Mason, you will know what a spectacular <laughs> invitation that is. If you We're don't know who Jackie Mason is, if you don't know who Jackie Mason is, you're probably he, not watching this. He's show at tonight. Mr. Kelly's <laughs> next week. Mr. Kelly's. Uh, let's talk about. Let's talk about. I, I want to go back to uh, the situation involving the president preparing uh, for North Korea. Uh, what should we be doing? With the uh, with Russia as the buildup, because again we're still dealing with sanctions and dueling sanctions, and there's pressure on the president to do more with Russia. Does he have to be doing more tough stuff with Russia in preparation for his meeting with Kim Jong Un and the South Korean president, Charles? I don't think so. I think that the issue with regard to Russia is mostly an issue with regard to the Middle East and Europe uh, rather than the Far East. Um, I think that the the main outside players uh, on the North Korea issue are China and South Korea, perhaps Japan. Uh, I would say that the key to the Russia, uh, U.S.-Russia policy should be strong, firm, and largely silent rather than boisterous. Because I, I, I think that, as you were saying in the first hour, Bruce, the, uh, the fact is uh, Putin himself is a very proud, uh, headstrong uh, man. And I think if you paint him into a corner, you're doing yourself a disservice because he'll push his way out. I think the other thing you referenced, and that is, what does the <laughs> president of China do? Because... He, everyone knows that he is, an, he is a key player in that region of the world, uh, number one trading partner with the United States, or uh, Canada is actually number one, but also the situation where he's obviously close to North Korea. Everyone has, been, everyone has thought for the last year that if, if China turns the screws to North Korea, Kim Jong-un will do anything he's asked to do. We don't really know that as a yeah, fact. Right. We don't know whether China would really want to do that. But 
What is China thinking about as far as its relationship with Putin and Russia? Because I can't believe that Russia would sit by and not do anything if all the focus of the world was was halfway across the world with the president of China and the president of the United States and yeah. North Korea and yeah. South Korea all together. Yeah. I mean, they're all together. I mean, the, I, I would suspect, I would not be surprised yeah. that, that's if actually, Putin tries to do something the, during the buildup and at that summit time. That's actually a, a great point because <sighs> Exhibit A is Syria. Russia right. has right. no right. stake. Syria was a long-time client state of the Soviet <laughs> Union. Um, not so much, you know, when it turned to this uh, into Russia, but uh, Vladimir Putin inserted himself, made himself a player into the Syrian conflict. Who's to say that can't happen here? Uh, it, it's the kind of thing that Vladimir Putin lo- would love to do to, to kind of destabilize these talks, well, insert himself. He, as he a could player. take he could take sides with Iran, uh, Iran being one of the trading partners with North Korea. I mean, if he wants, I mean. I think we can all agree that Putin mm-hmm. also likes to have a lot of attention yeah. and a lot of um, people afraid of him. So if he wanted to, he could probably complicate things by stirring something up with Iran. He will upstage. I'm going to predict yeah. Putin will upstage the summit in some way, Charles. I, I find what Putin has done to be, in one sense, predictable – States like to be big players, and he's he's really resuming not just the role that the Soviet Union had played, but the role uh, that the Tsarist Empire had played. And in, in in Syria, he's now gotten in effect a base on the Mediterranean and all all the rest. Here's the problem: it's an economy the size of Italy, and it's not getting right, better. Right, right, and he's way overstretched. And I don't understand exactly how he benefits from all of these things other than sort of swaggering power. Uh, China has a real economy. China uh, is... In but, but, a, but, yeah. but that's but, how he benefits. Yeah. He benefits yeah. because he has an image of yeah. just this really tough guy. Yeah. And it's not just to the rest of the world. Keep in mind, it's a tough guy image to the oligarchs in Russia who support him. Who, who could one day, and he, he's got to be concerned about this, could turn on him easily. Yeah. And, and so yeah. he wants to say, I'm a tough guy to everyone, so don't put a finger on me. He wants to be, and, and, and he wants to control your, I mean, he wants to rebuild the Soviet Union. There's no doubt about that. Right. And the other thing is, he still wants to control all oil and gas to Europe. Right. And right. so he... He knows that that's the only way he's going to stay in power. He's also got to figure that time is not on his side. Yeah. Well, Russia – Because oil and gas is a – is a fading resource. I mean, we we have alternatives to it. Fracking has deeply undermined his position. Alternative fuels have deeply undermined his position. His is not a growing and economy. Renewables. And renewables. Renewables. That's what I mean. Renewables. Yes. yes. Renewables as well as fracking. Yeah. Uh, if you look at their economy for the last three years, I think it's essentially zero growth. R- Russia has uh, genetically been uh, – is a genetic inferiority complex. Going back to the czars, okay, it's been the backwater for generations. This is a resource-rich 
country, they can't get these resources out of the ground. And, and you're right. The, the, the economy is the size of Italy. But, you know, I haven't checked. Without all I, those I haven't nice checked, shoes. Or food. I haven't or checked food. What, the, what Putin's approval rating is now. Very But high. I remember about a year ago it was 80%. And someone once told me never <laughs> underestimate Russian pride. Yes. About really? being um, seen as a peer of the United States or being seen as a power that can disrupt the United States. Right. And so and really, already, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. And, well, and, and by the, the way, rule. Uh, as, as we look at what happened in 2016 with the congressional investigations, with the Democrats, with the national media, they are, they are sending a signal not only to the American people to, but to the world and to the Russians – Look what the Russians did. Right. Look what the Russians right. did for relatively small amount of money, no loss of lives. Right. Look what they did. They completely disrupted the United States of America. And it's a political system. Without weapons. And they're going to try to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. And again, if we get slapped on the wrist once in a while, that's a price we will have to pay. In the meantime, if we want to move into another country after we moved into Ukraine, we'll do that in time. Let me, He's got another six years. He's a very young man. He's thinking a lot more than six years. Yeah. He is already the long. He's now served longer than Joseph Stalin. He's also the richest man in the world. Yes. yes. Oh, you know. So my, I'm going to ask this quick question. We got everybody quick. Yeah. Start with you, Charles. Who is the most powerful man in the world right now? Donald Trump. Stephanie. Um, I wouldn't say Donald Trump. I was going to say I was going to say uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Bill Gates? In the world. In the world. I'd say Donald Trump. You do? He's president of the United States. Michael? The most powerful person in the world to me is Donald Trump. But I want to add something. I think the most dangerous person in the world is Vladimir Putin. I thought you were going to say Donald Trump. We would agree. Yeah, I thought you would <laughs> no, say that, no, too. I no, think I we think would agree. Putin, the most dangerous. Putin craves because power. Because he's very clever. He, he's clever. He right. will do anything. He will poison. I mean, right. he is not a moral He has man. no limits. He exactly. has no limits. And that's the, what makes him scary, is that I he will do anything. I think Putin, though, over... You have to ask yourself, after what they did in 2016, it was clearly a tactical success. They wanted to... Uh, so confusion they did. Do you think it was a strategic success? I would say no. I would say that it is extremely difficult for anybody in America to look anything other than absolutely opposed to what the Kremlin is doing. So I think they've really harmed themselves in a bad way. I want to get your reaction, everybody's reaction when we come back. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border every Sunday night. It's Beyond the Beltway. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Chris Dumont back in Chicago. Thank you very much for joining us. 
Um, recently, Roseanne returned, returned to television, one of the most successful TV performers of all time. She took a long time off. And uh, during that period of time, she became a big supporter of Donald Trump. The show went back on the air. It had incredible ratings. The president called and congratulated her, uh, tried to take some credit for uh, uh, that it spoke to some Trumpsters and to the way that our people, he said, talking about us. Uh, Question to you, uh, Chris. uh, I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to talk with you, Michael, because okay. you saw the show. And I watched the show. Yeah. Yes. Uh, what did you think of the show, and what do you think of all the analysis now that this somehow is, that Hollywood is woken up to the fact that there's people in middle America that, that <laughs> love Roseanne and are Trump supporters? Well, I think, you know, first of all, I think the show's very funny, all right? And I say this as, as, as a guy who does not care for Donald Trump in any way. But Roseanne is very funny. It provides a lot of political messages, both pro and, and con. Um, it has characters that are that are quite interesting. Roseanne in this show, who who portrays a pro-Trumper, has a grandson who is gender fluid, mm-hmm. and that's an interesting portrayal. Uh, I, I think it's interesting. Gender and by fluid, the way, I think it's interesting for people like me who don't like Donald Trump. To watch a show like this because it uses humor to convey a certain political attitude that I will tell you a lot of my friends don't understand. Well, you know, and here's the thing. As someone who I do watch some TV, um, Hollywood, there have always been shows on that that do show what we now call the typical Donald Trump voter, that that the forgotten man, the people in flyover country. Archie Bunker. There's quite a bit. Archie Bunker. Last Man Standing, yeah. The Middle. There's a perfect example. It's even called The Middle. There, and they've been tremendously successful shows at, with high ratings, but they just don't get a lot of press. They don't get a lot of, um, you know, they have high ratings, but they're not necessarily the shows that are honored at all the awards. They're not always considered the cutting edge. But when you look at the ratings, they're solid because there is the middle of America who is watching these shows because they relate to them. They're about families. They're about day-to-day struggles, jobs, people who don't live glamorous lives like the Kardashians, who, you know, have struggle week to week with paychecks. There's a lot of those shows on. They're very popular. I, what I find surprising is that somehow this idea of Roseanne's success is new and different. Yeah. And it's not. But again, it's Hollywood ignoring. Yeah, I, I, was surp- I was surprised by the over-the-top analysis of, of, of yeah. Roseanne. But go ahead. I have mixed feelings about Chris. the show. Um, part of me kind of enjoys that this show... Uh, had better ratings than Hollywood's Biggest Night, um, which which, w- yeah. which gave an Oscar to a right. movie about a woman who had sex with the creature of the, back, the Black Lagoon. <laughs> yeah. um, so part of me appreciates that. Yeah. Um, but, but there's another part of me that laments that the political is continuing to invade the non-political. Um, we watch TV, go to the movies, read books to escape from reality, from, from politics. And here we have a show that is about politics again. And, I, you know, you just look at late night TV. It's become a, a Petri dish you, oh, yeah. for grievance you, politics. You, you, can't, you can't accept and, it on and, late and, night and, television. And so, and so, and so uh, that's, that, that's bad. And, and so, you know, Ben Shapiro actually made a great point about uh, Roseanne. This show is about class, not about morals. Right. And, you know... They, they could be rooting for Bernie Sanders 
Bernie, you, you take, I mean, everything that they say could apply to Bernie Sanders as much as it could about Trump. And so at the end of the day, I mean, for me, it just becomes less enjoyable because it is one tribe that's complaining about its grievances and how their grievances should be driving the policy debate. And I look at that and say, I don't want any part of it. I think what was interesting about it is that it, had, it was similar in some of the issues that used to come up in all, when All in the Family was around, which was an immensely popular A, d- a different – but different, All in the similar. Family was funny. It was a true satire. Carol O'Connor was irreplaceable. I don't think you could put Roseanne. We don't up think Rose- well, well, well no. and I, I don't I'm think not, you could. After one episode, I'm certainly not going to. I have to tell you something. One of the, the, one of the funniest things I've I found on the Roseanne show in the premiere yeah. was in a dialogue between Roseanne Barr and Laurie Metcalf, who plays her sister, and 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 they're talking about why they, you know, how they voted, and, and Laurie Metcalf looks at her sister Roseanne and says, "It's because of you that I ended up voting for Jill Stein." And she just blurts it out. And, 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 and Roseanne and, goes, who's Jill Stein? And, well, but, but keep in mind, there are a lot of people who, who made that exact same vote. Right. And you could yeah. easily argue, and I think pretty successfully, that those people made the difference in the 2016 election. Can I ask the panel a question? Yeah. Sure. As much as we love politics, don't you get a headache sometimes? Of course. Don't you want a little bit of relief from politics? Yeah. Wouldn't you like to enjoy a book? A TV show or a movie that has nothing to do what with I politics. Would, what I would like is I, 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 w- I would like a private dinner, a restaurant <laughs> conversation with friends or extended yes. friends that talks about something other than politics. God bless because you. Because yes. with, with, within yes. that body of politics yes. in this city, there is no one that can understand what happened in Middle America. There's no one within that sphere of influence of my friends that you know, have any understanding of what happened in 2016. Their minds, their heads, are they're in Los Angeles, they're in Manhattan, they're in Malibu. They have no idea. They cannot comprehend. To this day, they cannot comprehend why someone voted for Donald Trump. And, you know, the more, the more they talk, although, you know, I get tired of talking about it, the more they talk, the, the more I realize in my mind, you know what? The same mistake is going to be made in 2020. They haven't learned a thing. I'm one of those people. haven't learned a thing, and Donald Trump is likely to be re-elected. They haven't learned a thing, and I I represent that exactly. I live among people who have go on and on, and their complaints, they don't understand. Well, I will will say this. Let me just say this. As someone who did not vote for Donald Trump, who opposes Donald Trump, I enjoy talking to people who supported Donald Trump because it helps me understand what what motivated them You're and what unique. the Democrats need to do. You're a rare win. man. You're, rare. You're, You're a rare unique. man. Dinner with you. Uh, we're out of time. I'm not, thanks to all Who pays? Who pays? Ritz Goldman and Sam Greenberg and Dan Dorfman helped make this program possible. Until next week at the same time when the baseball season will be alive and well everywhere. I know we've had our opening days, but... It's only going to get better and warmer. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications.
Order tickets at museum.tv. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Live from this March, Goodman Theater Artistic Director Robert Falls presents a thrilling new production of Ibsen's timely classic, An Enemy of the People. When a water contamination crisis puts their town in peril, two brothers face off in a battle of political ambitions and moral integrity. The fate of the community hangs in the balance. The village voice raves, An Enemy of the People is exhilarating to experience. An Enemy of the People at Goodman Theater. March 10th through April 15th. Tickets at GoodmanTheater.org. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 760- 799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at com. 